0: continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: How do four brothers or how do families get along? How do you work with your wife, you know, working with your kids? And it's intentional. You have to get up every morning and say, we're going to make it. And that's one thing with a larger business like we have with the farm and the cheese factory. My nephew, Andy, he's a terrific mechanic. So he works in the maintenance and the mechanic side of the business. Jordan works in the crops our son, Brian, he works at the Cheese Factory. He's a licensed cheesemaker now here in Wisconsin. Our son, Patrick, loves cows, and that's what he's, he's good at. So you find people that have a passion for what they're good at, and that really is important, too.
0: From the Fox 6 studios, this is definitely Milwaukee. Conversations with the movers and shakers that put our slice of Wisconsin on the map in the worlds of entertainment, business, sports, and more. I'm Carl Deffenbaugh. This couldn't be a podcast in America's Dairyland without some focus on cheese, right? It's actually outrageous it's taken this long. We eat it, we love it, but how much do we actually know about cheese? Well, thankfully, George Crave is an expert. He's the head cheesemaker and one of four brothers behind Crave Brothers Farmstead Cheese in Waterloo. George has traveled the world studying the art and science behind the process, and now Cray Brothers makes some of the best mozzarella, curds, and more that you'll find. He shares some of the secrets behind cheese production, the best and weirdest cheeses he's ever tasted, and how they're able to power the entire farm and factory with the, uh, other product the cows produce. And it ain't milk. It's a deep dive into all things dairy with one quarter of the Crave Brothers very happy to be joined by an expert in a field so many of us love even if we don't necessarily understand it as well as he does george crave of crave brothers farmstead cheese joining us from waterloo this morning thank you so much sir this is great
1: you're welcome carl happy to be here
0: we're going to get to a lot of stuff and have some fun uh with the cheese making process and all that you you and your family have done out there in waterloo but i had to start with a very important question here just how much taste testing actually goes into being a cheesemaker?
1: Oh, a lot. I mean, all day long, we're just testing the cheese, checking the curd, uh, looking at pHs. We're really just big cooking is what we're doing. So uh, all the way from the pHs of the milk to the, to right in the vat, uh, all the way through the amount of butterfat that we have in the milk and all the way through to the cooking and the mozzarella is a pasta filata. So we're always stretching it and making sure that we're getting the right melt, not too hot, not too cold. um, So we're not overcooking the curd also. So all day long.
0: To a novice, that sounds like a dream right there. I imagine maybe it's a little bit more like a winemaker where it's, it's very specific what you're looking for, what you're trying to taste or find in the cheese. How specific is that process and how refined has your your palate become over the years doing this?
1: Well, it's became very refined uh, because we're looking, You, it's not only the the flavor, but the texture, the, the stretch, what we call in the industry functionality. How is it going to function? Uh, when the consumer picks it up, is it going to slice? Is it going to... Uh, be firm enough, and yet still have the tenderness that they're looking for And all the different cheeses, all the way from a, a good Gruyere or a Nemental uh, to a, a Gouda, uh, everyone has a little bit different functionality and, and eventual end use. Interesting, I'll
0: get into a little bit more of the actual cheese making process, but wanted to start a big picture for any folks who are not familiar, do you mind describing a little bit of the, the family history here? You guys have been at this for a very long time, although the cheese making wasn't necessarily what your brothers started with uh, from the beginning.
1: All right. Well, we grew up in Beloit, Wisconsin, down in the Illinois line, uh, the the Crave family, and turns out my wife, Debbie, is from Beloit also. That's where we met way back in, oh boy, 1974, 75, in 4-H meeting, you know, the old country 4-H meetings, and, and we met there, And uh, but uh, my family, we grew up milking cows. I milked cows with my dad, and he sold the cows in 74. Uh, at the time, there was about 60,000 farms in the state that milk cows, and everyone had 20, 30, 40 cows, was a was the very average size herd. My dad was one of those, 60,000. And now, today, uh, you know, 45, 50 years later, we have about 7,500 farms in the state producing more milk than those 60,000 farmers did uh, 45, 50 years ago. So uh, productivity like anything, more productive farms. But we grew up and uh, we didn't have a farm to really go back to, but we were fortunate to get started again on a small rented farm in 78, uh, moved to Waterloo in 80 uh, with 80 cows. And over the years, just adding land either through renting or purchasing, building another barn, adding cows, building another barn, buying another farm, Uh, today, Forty short years later, we milk about twenty-two hundred cows, and farm three thousand acres. So, uh, very progressive, very, very much what next type of mentality in our family. And uh, about twenty years ago, the what next was what am I going to do for another twenty years uh, after milking cows very intensely and having a very good herd of cows. And I like cows. I like I'm a I, I'm a good cowman. I think, but just didn't see myself doing that for another twenty years. So. Uh, A lot of discussions, a lot of phone calls. We decided to build our own on-farm cheese factory, our own farmstead cheese factory. Uh, My wife, Debbie, came home from working in Madison for 20 years in marketing for the the state and the dairy farmers of Wisconsin at the time. She came home and the two of us built a cheese business um, almost 20 years ago. So it's been, uh, next, next month in February will be 19 official years that we've been making cheese. But uh, 20 years ago, right now we were we were man- building the cheese factory. So um, here we are today. We have about 45 employees. We use all of our milk from our 1,100 cows that are on this dairy. We milk on two different sites, and uh, we have several family members involved. New new family members, next generation. Uh, our niece Beth at the cheese factory. Our daughter Roseanne a little bit in the in the marketing. Our son Brian's a licensed cheese maker right out right out in the plant today. And the farm, we have um, nephews, uh, our son, Patrick, nephews, Jordan, Andy, uh, another niece, Leah, that helps out on a, with the cows. And then my brother, Charlie, Tom, Mark, and myself are all involved also.
0: It's a family reunion every day, I guess, when you guys go to work in that case. That's
1: right. Yeah, no social distancing here. We have to get together. And, <laughs> and that's, that's true because uh, we talk about essential workers. Uh, we milk cows every day. We milk cows on Christmas. We milk cows on Easter. We milk cows New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day, and around the clock on two different dairies. So it takes a large team to, to feed cows, milk cows, grow the crops, and then pipeline the milk to the cheese factory, where we make our fresh mozzarella, our mascarpone cream cheese, our queso Oaxaca braided string cheese, and then our cheese curds.
0: That might be it right there, but what is one thing that, that people outside of the industry, and we'll start with the, the dairy farming side of it, just don't understand about the, the lifestyle, the the work that it takes, the hours to, to live this life?
1: Well, it's the only life I've known, so I, for me, I don't understand what the other side is. Um, it is total commitment. It, when you look out the, the door and you watch the weather, it means something when we watch the weather, you know. We're not worried about our golf game. We're not worried about if we have to shovel the sidewalks. We're concerned if we have, if we have to thaw water pipes or, or, or clean, clean the drifts out of the driveway before we come to work in the morning and get the, get the workers in and get the barns and, and have baby calves. It can be, it can be I think, to tonight or tomorrow night or one of these nights, it's supposed to be zero you know, zero, maybe five below, ten below wind chills. We have baby calves being born. Of course they're in barns, but still it's cold. And and but our son Patrick and our and his staff that he works with, they have to take care of those calves, get them fed, milk the mother, feed the baby the colostrum. And that's the way it goes. I mean it's a circle of life and it's just what we do. And we're we're so used to it we just think that everyone understands that's just, you know, you grow your crops and you, you harvest them and you feed you feed those cows, those crops in the wintertime because we don't have grass in the wintertime, right? We always talk about uh, your cows on grass. No, they're not because the grass is under eight inches of ice and snow right now. So, so it's feed that we grow in, in our short growing season here in Wisconsin where we only have about 100 to 110 days of actual growing uh, degree days where we can grow crops. We have, to, we have to make sure, you know, hopefully we have the rain and the fertility and everything to grow the crops, to, to harvest them, to feed the cows all next year.
0: Um, when it comes to the cheese making as well, and for you, how, uh, how daunting was that to kind of shift roles, shift focuses and, and dive into what in effect is kind of a new industry going from the the cows and the milk side of it to the actual production of the cheese.
1: Yeah, Carol, I'm glad you recognize that because I didn't, <laughs> I, th- I thought, Uh, Well, I have, you know, you have corn and hay, you can milk cows, you have cows, you make milk, you can make cheese, you know, it's all one, it's just what you do. And it's a huge difference, you know, just taking milk and making it a consumable product. First of all, it has to be pasteurized, there has to be equipment, lots of stainless steel equipment, uh, developing the recipes and how we, how we make the cheese and what cheese are we going to make. Really, when you just think of making cheese, There's so many types and varieties, and what are the end uses? Is it going to be for food service? Is it going to be for pizza? Is it going to be industrial? Is it going to be for retail and all the packaging that's involved in that? So it was it was exciting, and it was exciting as we were getting into it, and very daunting for a year or two after we did make it happen. You know, we kind of joked that we sat by the fax machine waiting for the orders to come in, and they did come in uh, slow at first, like any business. You hear a lot of stories about businesses, you know kind of limping along and then you sit up and you start walking and then you run, then you trot and then you start running. And right now we're running really strong.
0: How rare is it? Uh, you mentioned some of the, the the way the scales have shifted in Wisconsin mm-hmm. from a lot of smaller farms to now some some larger production ones and less total number. How rare is it that a, an actual dairy farm will produce its own cheese as well like you guys do?
1: Uh, it's fairly, it's very rare. There's I can think of a handful of producers in the state that, that may have their milk cows and then they make the cheese uh most of them are in this the same situation as we are where there's there's the farmer the herdsman the people that grow the crops in the fields and then there'll be the cheese maker there'll be the you know the marika gouda uh, andy hatch with his pleasant ridge reserve he's a cheese maker uh marika makes her gouda i'm the cheese maker in our family my brothers and our staff take care of the, the farm side of it because really there's such difference and there's food safety concerns where you don't leave the barn, you don't come over here. You know, there are parts of the world, Spain, Switzerland, as you know, uh, where the, the cows are right next to the, maybe the milk house or the, the cheesery or the fromagerie, as they would say, or the cas house. Um, but that's different here, depending on the type of cheese you make also. Okay, I see.
0: And yeah, well, I, I want to get into some of your training, some of your the, the different cultures you've experienced when it comes to cheese making around the world. But I guess we should probably start at the basics because I'm obviously a novice and I think most of the people listening will be. How does cheese actually come about? How does the process go from milk to
1: what we get on our plate? Okay, so we take the milk, we milk the cows at our farm. It's right across the road, 360 feet from the cheese factory. It's re- the milk the cows refrigerate the milk stored there once a day we swing a few valves and directly pipeline it underground through a stainless steel pipe that's in a you know plastic culvert over the cheese factory and then we store it here and then it's pasteurized pasteurized is continuously flow Louis Pasteur that that discovered that it was really to to eliminate tuberculosis back in the day to make the TB that the cows had uh, out of the milk so uh, but it, it does much more. It really preserves the milk. It, it removes a lot of the the bacteria that can cause spoilages, and it makes it very uniform. So we pasteurize the milk, then it continually flows into three 25,000 pound vats. 25,000 pounds is about a half a semi load of milk. So we have three of those vats, and from there it's either acidified or you add cultures to the cultures ferment out the lactose and make lactic acid which lowers the pH, makes a more acidic type of a milk. And then from there, it's coagulated where we add a rennet coagulated into a large mass of like yogurt. And after about a half an hour, it's cut into cubes where it's cu- the cubes are the curds and the whey is the water that comes out of it. So after about a half an hour after it's cut and stirring, the, the water eventually weeps out of the curd, the curds firm up and then we bring it down onto a, a, bi- a big drain table it's about 35 feet long big stainless steel table 35 feet long six feet wide and about two feet deep that holds the curds in the way and from there we take the curds and we cook them in our case we cook them and make them into the mozzarella where it stretches where it's very stretchy and you can just take it and stretch it all out and almost almost stretch it where you can almost see through it to get it that thin if you really have the butter fat the ph and the temperature right and then from there, it's molded into the Perlini's, Boconcini's, Silagini's, all the different sizes of the, the, uh, the fresh mozzarella and the, the Oaxaca that we make. Interesting.
0: There's obviously hundreds of different varieties of cheese. So at what point in the process do you start to branch off into all those different areas? How do you determine whether it turns into a, a cheddar or a mozzarella or anything like that?
1: Well, the cultures, first of all, you start out knowing if you're gonna make a cheddar. Uh, you have to have the cultures to develop the flavors that will eventually uh, develop if it's going to be an aged cheddar, a five-year aged cheddar. Uh, you do certain things in the process uh, in the vat and with the curds so that it will age out and not get too acidy or too mushy or soft as it as it ages out. So there's different steps that you you make if it's going to be a, a Swiss cheese. You know, you have to cook it much longer to dry the, dry the curds out so that it's much lower moisture. Then from there, we'd go into a big press and then you, it presses it and and for swiss cheese or an Emmentaler, then it goes into a warm room and those enzymes uh, produce the little gas holes in the cheese that make the little eyes in the cheese. Uh, a gruyere relatively similar different culture but with a gruyere it's it's washed the outside of the cheese is, has a culture added to it every couple of days for maybe a month that develop more flavor uh, that's called a wash rind. Uh, French cheeses are washed lot of the French cheeses are a wash rind you know the more smelly the bigger the bigger flavor cheeses uh, the, the mozzarella is acidified or cultured and that it's and provolone or cooked and stretched and molded
0: how did you guys settle on the uh, the main types of cheese that you guys produce there how did you decide
1: uh, well through that through the a lot of the phone calls we made 20 years ago uh, a couple different marketers recommended either blue cheese was a growing category feta was a growing category and mozzarella and fresh mozzarella. I uh, never heard of fresh mozzarella, never saw it until I really went and talked to a couple of marketers about what cheese would they be willing to sell. And uh, I thought fresh mozzarella maybe was two-day-old string cheese, something like that. But it turns out it's much softer, more pasta. The, the uh, fior di latte is what the Italians call it, the flour of the milk. So you have to start with really fresh milk. And turns out our uh, really farm-fresh, very consistent milk that very crisp, sweet flavor in our milk really works well with our fresh mozzarella. So um, we bring then consist, consistency and the good protein structure of our milk really works out well with our fresh mozzarella. And uh, I can say that because we've been very much uh, validated through judging competitions that our cheeses that stacked up with the best.
0: Yeah, number of awards over the years, that's for sure. Yes. And- touch and go is the process at different points and I don't know if there's a story or two that comes to mind maybe even from the early days when you're still figuring this all out of like okay we're getting a little far off track here with this batch okay we can rescue this one or, or maybe one that was beyond saving
1: yeah now I look back and it, it, it I almost I almost shake thinking of what I didn't know and how to correct what I didn't know and uh, just the different the different food grade acids that you use you know citric acetic lactic Uh, types of types of really kind of vinegars. If you're over in Europe they just call it a vinegar but really it's food grade uh, acids that you add to the milk too and everyone has a little bit different functionality a little bit different reaction on the the milk proteins uh, how soft they're gonna get and the flavor that it it gets. So over the years I've learned and I've changed and fortunately met a lot of people from around the world that says you should try this you know you should try you should try this type of product you should try this temperature you should try this type of rennet. And so th- those people have really been beneficial to me. Interesting.
0: If, if you know a little bit, uh, what is kind of the overall history of cheese? And then from your travels as well, what are the different cultures, different areas of the world that you've gotten to explore and learn more about their specific cheese culture? Yeah.
1: Well, what I understand about the history of cheese, you know, it's in a lot of the different books and you can Google anything now, but, you know, back in the, back in the very beginning, you know, milking the camels or the oxen, uh, storing it in the leather bags or, you know, leather, leather purses, if you will, Uh, to carry it across across the fields or to store it for the next day Uh, eventually turned into kind of like a yogurt I'm sure the first cheese is the first dairy products was fresh milk and then a type of a yogurt um, soured soured type of dairy product and eventually pressing that pressing that into a cheese a soft cheese and of course everything was was fresh then of course when we did get the uh, more more civilized we'd have the summer milk when the cows were out on the grass, so you'd have a big what they'd call it, spring flush or the summer flush. Well, you can't drink all that milk and you can't just make yogurt out of it. So they eventually started making it into the cheeses and uh, pressing it. And that's how we preserve dairy products is through a uh, six month, one year old, two year old cheese is, is really preserving milk.
0: I always think about that with like wine or beer. Like how did these early humans thousands of years ago actually figure out that this was a good thing and not like just yeah. spoiled or completely
1: yeah. bad? I'm sure I'm sure it wasn't all award-winning at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true.
0: <laughs> how about some of the travels that you've done around the world and trying to learn from other cheesemakers in different <laughs> countries, different areas?
1: Yeah, about the first, well, uh, my wife Debbie was involved in marketing with the Department of Agriculture and she traveled, to to paris to some food shows uh promoting wisconsin products uh so we a couple of times i'd tag along with her and really to see the different products and to see how people were consuming it and how they were serving it in restaurants you know the after dinner cheese for dessert was it's it's a european thing it's something we just didn't do here you know and so uh just seeing how that was transpiring and how it how it was really evolving at that time and and so when we started to that got me thinking about doing something a little more fun than milking cows. And uh, when we really got serious about making the mozzarella, we went to Italy and looked at equipment and contacted a few companies and a few old friends and toured Italy for a week or two and saw you know, a lot of different ideas and the equipment it took and uh, came home and started making cheese. I'm going we back to Switzerland and, and viewed some more cheese factories in France again. So we've been, been to Europe probably six, seven, eight times to, to look at cheese and they'll go to food shows and just see what's going on there because their industry is so much more advanced as far as the, the plethora of products and how they serve them and make them. And not that I'm looking at expanding production, but now we're at a really good spot in our business at Craig Brothers where where we're comfortable with the cheeses we make and we don't wanna age, get into the aged cheese business. So, but it's, it's always good. That's how I learned that what you're doing is good enough, because you can't make everything. You know, just because you have a bakery doesn't mean that you that you can. If you're going to make cookies or bread or or just because you have a big oven and a bakery doesn't mean you're going to make steak sandwiches. Okay, okay. stick to what your what your real industry is, and in ours is the pasta filata or the, the massaged and, and soft cheeses, and it's all the mozzarella, the queso Oaxaca, and then we also take the cream and make the, the fresh uh mascarpone also it's funny you mentioned that about the uh the after
0: dinner cheese uh the one time i was in france my my wife and i were uh, treating ourselves to a nice dinner and we're of course used to you know charcuterie boards or pre-dinner cheese eating here in america and after everything they bring out this cart with all these different cheeses for us to choose from we're like i don't totally understand this but i love it it's great
1: (laughs) yeah you have to get used to it because some of the cheeses of course that the, the european cheeses and even some that are made here in wisconsin are are really good and really big flavor and uh you almost have to have that little that little after dinner drink to really help blend that all in
0: and for listeners that don't know my parents have lived in switzerland for past decade or so and, and we grew up raclette and fondue and everything like that were staples in our house so this is near and dear to my heart uh, i'd be curious in the travels how does wisconsin as of course america's Dairyland, end but as a cheese making state how does wisconsin hold up internationally? And then what are some of the areas or, or some of the places that you've been particularly impressed by around the world when it comes to cheese?
1: Well, Wisconsin holds up very well internationally. The World Cheese Championship and the U.S. Cheese Championship prove that, you know, that our Cheddars stack up just as well as, as Britain's Cheddars and Stilton's, uh, Blue Cheeses and Gorgonzolas made here in Wisconsin and, and, and the U.S. are just as competitive. And flavor-wise, as the you know the ones in uh, in France and in Italy, uh, the mountain cheeses that they have—that's that's unique. The raw milk cheeses that they make uh, in Europe are unique. That a lot of people in the U.S. do not make for a lot of regulation reasons because of food safety and regulation and distribution. Uh, you know, what really one of the best cheeses I've ever had that was so unique was uh, a raw milk brie in, in France is really a spectacular cheese, at least the one I had was, but um, so there is a little bit of difference with the raw milk cheeses, but here in the U.S. it's totally different where we make cheese in Wisconsin and 90% of it's exported out of the state and it goes to East Coast, West Coast, has to go into distribution, sits on a truck for maybe three four days before it ends up at a distribution center in New Jersey or, or New Bedford, Massachusetts or Seattle. And so it has to hold up. So that's one thing that our cheeses here um, differ from from Europe to where we the, the, the breadth of distribution and the shelf life that we have to incorporate into our manufacturing and our distribution.
0: Yeah, different set of challenges for sure. Uh, right. I, I know for you guys on the farm in general, sustainability is a really big thing. And I was reading a little bit about how you guys actually process the manure, right? That's the other product from the cows, <laughs> not just the milk. Right how has that uh, transitioned and how proud are you guys of what you've been able to do on that front?
1: Well we've been making uh, renewable energy for about 15 years with our methane digester and what uh, it is it's a big machine big tanks we take all the waste from the farm and the cheese factory and what when you feed a cow you get the meat milk and manure that uh, is left over and so we take all that from our our cows and it goes into two large 750,000 gallon tanks that are enclosed, and we, it's heated, constantly heated, and the resulting, one of the byproducts of that is methane gas. And the methane gas is a highly combustible natural gas that powers a huge internal combustion engine, a V12 800-horse engine that doesn't run off of gasoline, doesn't run off of diesel fuel. It runs off of methane gas. And so that large engine turns an electromagnetic generator that generates enough electricity to power the farm and the cheese factory and about 300 homes in our community. That's so really cool. That's, yeah, it's a big machine, um, expensive, and uh, there's about 15, 16 in the state that are making electricity out of the methane gas. I,
0: I had to imagine uh, for you, on the one hand, maybe you're just used to the smell because you're around it all the time, but for you, who is actually the cheesemaker, the, the senses must be so important. Do you ever get used to that or is it, have you? become a customer.
1: Uh on, on the farm side uh, yeah. oh, all, yeah, you, get, you get used to it for sure you get used to it for sure but methane gas is very has a very big because you've taken all that that uh, gas if you will and concentrated so methane gas is very pungent very uh, you know You even get near it and it kind of sticks to your clothes and you know just the smell of it so but it's all contained it's all contained and burned off through the big engine
0: for the family in general i know uh, each of your brothers kind of has a different role different thing they're in charge of at the farm uh, maybe what are one pro and one con to being in this family business for so long that you guys have really enjoyed and maybe one thing that just got okay this comes with working with family
1: <laughs> yeah you know that's that's a question a lot of people have and we have a lot a lot going on here but people that work in a family business or don't work in a family business any longer That's one of the most frequently asked questions is how do do four brothers or how do families get along? How do you work with your wife? How, how, you know, working with your kids. And it's intentional. You have to get up every morning and say, we're going to make it, we're going to be intentional about this. We're not going to take it for granted. We're not going to take communications for granted. We're not going to just assume that everybody's going to be happy. So we have meetings, we get together. We've used a lot of different counselors and consultants, uh, business consultants to where are we going in the future, get people to say what they want out of the business, what they want out of the, the profession and uh, find a place for them. And that's one thing with a larger business like we have with the farm and the cheese factory gives if, if my nephew Andy, he's a terrific mechanic. So he works in the maintenance and the mechanic side of the business. Jordan works in the crops, the crops and in the, the equipment. Our son Patrick loves cows, goes five years without driving a tractor loves cows and that's what he's he's good at. So you find people that have a passion for what they're good at and that really is important too. No one wants to do what they don't want to do and um, or like what they like. Our son, Brian, he works at the cheese factory. He runs a lot of the the cleaning equipment. He just uh, finished making a big bat of mascarpone. Um, so that's where he's he's found himself. He's a licensed cheesemaker now here in Wisconsin. And, uh, and I've kind of, done it all, but I knew that when I came to the cheese factory that I was going to be, this is where I was going to be. I wasn't going to go over to the farm. And uh, this is where I've been for 20 years working with Debbie. So it's very intentional.
0: Everyone kind of finds their role. I know there's been a lot in the news uh, about not being the easiest time for farmers, for dairy farmers, specifically here in Wisconsin. You guys have obviously seemed to, to weather a lot of these challenges pretty well, and maybe it helps having both the farm side and the cheese making side. What are some of the the struggles you think are out there for other farmers in Wisconsin or some things that that could change to help support the industry a little bit more?
1: Well, it would really help to, to just get a more fair share of the consumer dollar. When you're buying cheese for $8, a 100 for 8 dollars a pound in the store or a half a pound of cheese for 6 dollars the farmer's only getting about a dollar of that of that 8 dollars so uh, you know when you look at all the land and the equipment and growing the crops and feeding the cows and growing a baby calf up for 2 years to be a cow before she can start producing milk and lactation and that whole process to take the milk and then make it into cheese you know we're only getting a buck out of that consumers 8 dollars for that for that pound of cheese. So, um, gosh, if we could just get another 50 cents or 75 cents out of that $8, it would be gigantic when you do the multiplier back to what that is in the milk that comes back to the farm. Uh, so, so, but we're in a commodity business. Unfortunately, food in America is considered a commodity. Corn, soybeans, chickens, pigs, beef, uh, cotton, wheat, um, and dairy is considered a commodity. A lot of it's traded down in Chicago. People come in and say, do you think it's worth this today? And it goes up two cents or down two cents. And I think for me, when you look at everything we have and what we have to guarantee for our consumers and our nutrition and our children's nutrition, and we hear about that, you know, a third of our children are, are def- nutritionally deficient, uh, it's a travesty to consider our food system and our production system just as a commodity. trade it it like coal or cardboard or or, or, uh, plywood. Yeah,
0: that's well said. Um, One of the things that that was kind of noteworthy, I think, came up recently as we're dealing with the coronavirus pandemic is that dry ice is vital to cheesemaking in Wisconsin. There was some concern that um, because of the cold storage needed for a number of the vaccines that are out there, and obviously the vaccines are good, we all want to get through this, um, but that there would be some issues maybe on the cheesemaking side for Wisconsin farmers. Has that Proven to be true because of I I think it's the cultures for the cheese have to be kept at such cold temperatures as well. Has that proven yeah. to be true? or Has the dry ice supply? Yeah, the
1: cultures, the cultures that you would put into a cheddar cheese or a, any of the the cultured cheeses. It's just like like the yeast that you put in bread. Only these cultures have to be kept super cold because cultures are live. It's a live organism that's grown, you know, in in these culture houses they call them. They're harvested, they're froze dry, dry ice, you know, where you open it up and there's a chunks of dry ice and all that, that vapor comes out. And then we put it in, we have one of those medical deep freezers that's, you know, 30 below zero, the the freezer to keep our cultures cold. And uh, the concern um, was that if all the dry ice production goes towards the viruses, the vaccine, will there be enough dry ice for the dairy cultures? And there's other cultures out there, but I I think, um, you know, the dry ice manufacturers made sure that there was enough. And it turns out that uh, some of the new vaccines coming out do not require that super deep freeze, which is good. All these layers of the supply chain that we're all learning about
0: during this for sure. Sure. Um, I'd love to finish with some fun stuff here, George. Uh, you've been very kind with the time. Uh, I imagine picking a favorite cheese that you guys make is like having a favorite kid. You can't actually choose, but if there were one or two that you think people really need to try, what what would those be as a, a great introduction to Craig brothers?
1: Yeah. Well, I, we love our, our marinated Silla our fresh mozzarella that's marinated with, with olive canola oil and some spices and herbs and peppers. Uh, that's very nice. You just open it up and have some toothpicks and a fresh, Fresh piece of bread or a cracker, and you're ready to go. It's, it's your appetizer right there. Uh, you can take the the oil and use it for a dressing on a salad or dress your breads, your your bruschetta uh, uh, bread, and uh, so that's a really f- nice favorite one. Our mascarpone is very popular. Our sweet cream mascarpone is very popular, and we even took it a step further where we make a chocolate mascarpone, which is very popular. And you know, some people just say that's oh, so a decadent is what you know. I guess the term people like to use. Our medallions, our fresh mozzarella medallions that are that are molded and and have the moisture and they're very pillowy soft. Those make great sandwiches. You you make a burger and put them in and a little marinara sauce and we call it a crave burger. And then also we make our Wisconsin squeaky cheese curds and we make a white cheese curd that has jalapeno pepper in it. And you take that home and when you're making your burger uh, or your omelet, right alongside of that, you throw some of those. Cheese curds in the in the skillet and let them melt down. And right when you're ready to serve, you flip them over and you put those melted jalapeno cheese curds on your burger or roll them into your omelet, and it's it's wonderful. Sounds like it'd be pretty good in a Bloody Mary too if it's got a little bit of kick
0: to it. Um, maybe if this goes beyond some of the cheese that you guys make do you think there's a cheese out there that is uh, particularly universal? you can kind of use it in a number of different ways all, all kinds of different either food or, or ways that you're serving cheese that really works quite well for folks
1: yeah I think I think a uh, a cheddar of course cheddar what used to be the number one cheese now mozzarella because of pizzas is the number one cheese produced in in America uh, cheddar. Uh, Gouda. Gouda is a very nice melting cheese, has a nice flavor, uh, very nice mellow buttery flavor. Havarti is very nice. Feta is a cheese that's uh, become very popular the last tw- couple of years, We're On sprinkled on salads and in and other appetizers, uh, a little more acidy type of different type of texture. Uh, Munster is a very good cheese. Uh, Our Munster in the U.S., of course, isn't like the French Munster that's very very big flavored. Our Munster here, we just call it Munster, uh, that that has some nice melting properties and then makes sandwiches. Provolone is a really good cheese. If you may have a good Provolone, that's a wonderful cheese to put into sandwiches or into a casserole also. With all the different
0: travel and stuff that you've done, is there a particularly out there cheese that you've tried, A, a really funky or just strange weird one, whether it was good or bad?
1: Yeah, well, when you when you travel to Italy and near Naples, Italy, their their mozzarella di boo for their buffalo mozzarella where they milk the, the water buffalo and uh, that milk has a different flavor. It's a little more gamey. It's a little more acidy and uh, I some people rave over it um, just because uh, I'm a cow guy. I'm not that crazy over it, but uh, there's been a few cheeses. I did spend six weeks in Egypt when I, uh, back in 1988, kind of on a Peace Corps farm, farm consulting uh, back in my early years. And we had, we had camel camel yogurt and a few of those things. And, you know, Egypt, Egypt's an old culture, but they still do things kind of the old way. So that was kind of funky, if you will.
0: Interesting, yeah, that's really neat. How about a region uh, either that you would recommend people travel to and visit because they're known for their cheese or, or one that you have your, on your list that you haven't even gotten to
1: yet, maybe? Well, I think first of all, uh, just just travel locally, travel around Wisconsin, you know, go to the Dairy Farmers Wisconsin website and look up cheese factories that give tours or have on, on-site stores. Uh, you see them along the highways, uh, some of the different companies that have their own little stores and, and they'll put, we don't have a store at our cheese factory, but we'll have other cheesemakers, our friends that that have on site stores that will sell our cheese out of their stores so that's very nice of them and so start in Wisconsin look it up travel around take a look you see something different in a store buy it say what the heck let's give it a try you know and always have your cheese room temperature don't ever eat cheese right out of the fridge you just won't get that flavor that mouthfeel that you're really looking for and always the second bite is where you really get the flavor from after the first bite is in your mouth and it's warmed up the second bite always gives you that real the real flavor some great
0: tips there from the expert uh, i'll ask you the last question here Anything coming down the road for you guys you're particularly excited about? Uh, anything coming uh, down the pipe or, or next for you that you th- we think we should look out for from Craig?
1: Well, I think for us is to bring, we're building a new rotary milking parlor at the farm right out the window here. I can see we're building a big 60 cow rotary where the cows walk on and it turns and the next cow walks on, and it continues to turn. You put the unit on. By the time they come around, it, they're finished. It comes off and they, they get sanitized with robot arms and out, the, out they go back to their barn. And so that's very exciting for us. Uh, we're gonna have cow identification. It's gonna be automatically, we're gonna be able to record daily weights on the cows for their milk weights and everything. So our son's very excited about having that uh, more data, technology, if you will, more information, the more, the more management we can do on that side. And then bringing the, bringing the next generation of leaders into the business, whether it's a family or non-family, uh, bringing younger people in and having uh, them work under me and Debbie for a couple of years. Uh, so they can be the leaders in the future because I'm not going to be here forever. Debbie's not going to be here forever. You know, when I said I started in 78, you can do the math. That wasn't yesterday. And so Debbie and I are looking at at teaching the next generation what we what we know, get it out of our head and into theirs and on paper and on the spreadsheets, and uh, looking forward to that for the next couple of years. Maybe I'll add a bonus question
0: there. At some point, I imagine there's not a lot of days off or time off in, in your world. What will you do when you do maybe get to a retirement age, maybe get to a point where you have some time to sit back and, and spend some time? What's, what's first on the list for you?
1: Well, hopefully we stay healthy. And the few people have said I should be a consultant either in leadership or cheese or farming might be something I'd look into eventually uh, travel a lot. Debbie and I love to travel. We'd have friends all over Europe and, and, uh, and Italy, family in Italy. So we can get on, get on a plane and people pick us up at the airport and we go right to their house. We don't have to stay in hotels or anything. So that makes it really wonderful and and great experience. So we've seen behind the curtain, if you will, uh, Italy, France, Switzerland, uh, Egypt, uh, Sweden, places like that, that are Australia, South Africa, that uh, have been really wonderful.
0: Nate, we are very lucky to have you a lot closer to home. We'll say that, George,
1: thank you very much for the time. You're welcome.
0: Thank you once again to George Crave, and if that conversation made you hungry, you can find Crave Brothers Cheese at Whole Foods in the area, Woodman's, and even some Sendix locations as well. A big thank you as well to two people that you don't hear from but work so hard behind the scenes to make Definitely Milwaukee happen. That would be Dave Machuda and Sarah Smith. And if you're interested in more podcasts from Fox 6, there's a great one from the Fox 6 investigators called Open Record. If you are a fan, please leave a rating and review of both on any of your regular podcast platforms, and you can listen to all of our episodes from Definitely Milwaukee and Open Record anytime at fox6now.com.